All right, church, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Today we are coming to the end of our three-part mini-series on verses 9 through 11. Two weeks ago, Joel spoke to us on the topic of alcohol and uh, the gift that that can be to us, but also the, uh, the ways that that can be abused. Last week, Nick spoke to us on the topic of homosexuality and how, how God's word helps us to think through this in a loving and biblical way. Both of these topics are, are mentioned in verses 9 through 11, and, and this morning we are going to cover one more of these topics, and that is the topic of greed and the role that that plays in our lives. Now, before we read our text this morning, which is a text we've been in for the past two weeks, so hopefully we're gaining familiarity with it. But before we jump into that, I want to begin by encouraging us to take seriously the call to walk in obedience to Christ this week. This passage, and really all of 1 Corinthians, it brings many challenging exhortations to follow Christ, doesn't it? The, the, the reason behind these past three weeks has been to, to focus on some of these specific areas that we know that, that God wants us to live in holiness and help us to help each other to live in holiness. And while, while we want to be a church that loves and enjoys God's grace and mercy, which is why the gospel must be central to everything that we do, we also want to be a church that takes seriously the call to follow Christ and to live in holiness. Because there is life to be found in obeying the law of God. This has been on my heart this week in a, in a particular way that, that we would grow to be a church that loves the law of God. That we would find life and joy in it. That we would be able to, to with the psalmist, say, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. More to be desired are his laws than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Now again, that is not our passage for this morning, but my, my prayer has been that that would be true for us as we open God's word this morning and look at his commands to us. Our passage is 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Read that with me together. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. May God bless the preaching of his word. In 2018, the largest ever recorded tapeworm was discovered and recorded when it was removed from a man in a hospital in India. This tapeworm measured to be 82 feet long. Now, to give you a little reference, um, that is longer than this stage is wide, okay? That's how long this tapeworm was that was removed out of this man. And, and the doctors had thought that this tapeworm had potentially been living inside this man for over 20 years. And during this time, it had slowly begun stealing vital nutrients from this man. He eventually became malnourished and anemic. 
Now, if you don't know what a tapeworm is, a tapeworm is a, a parasite that lives inside of you, and it, it lives off of the food that you eat. And if left untreated, it can cause severe damage and even death. And, and the truly horrifying thing about tapeworms is they can live inside of you, and you don't even know it. Sorry, church. <laughs> but uh, uh, s- several years back, I... Uh, uh, I actually, my, a couple of friends of mine actually thought that I had developed a tapeworm because I, I had this couple of weird weeks where I was just ridiculously hungry all the time. Like we went out to, to Five Guys one night and normally when I go to Five Guys, like that's my meal for the next 24 hours. Like I'm usually done after that. But on this night, after eating at Five Guys, I made my friends immediately take me to Chipotle to get more food because I was just still incredibly hungry. And this, this went on for, for like weeks where I was just... I was uncomfortably hungry, and no amount of eating was seeming to solve this problem. And I, I was actually, I was beginning to grow kind of worried about this. And I, I was telling a friend about it, and uh, him and someone else, they were, they were convinced that I had a tapeworm. So they actually, they took a moment to pray for me. They, they laid their hands on my stomach and, and prayed God would remove this tapeworm. It was, it was a weird day. Um, but uh, I, eventually, things kind of just like went back to normal. I'm not, I'm not really sure exactly what that was. It probably wasn't a tapeworm, or maybe it was, and the tapeworm just uh, stop being hungry after a while. I, I don't know, but, uh, but and I, I'm not even sure that's exactly how tapeworms even work or not, but, but you get the idea that I'm getting at. It's a, it's a helpful uh, visual, disturbing visual, but a, but a helpful visual as we think through this idea of greed. Greed is a strong desire that, that can never be satisfied. It, it always leaves you wanting, and, and oftentimes we don't even realize that it is a problem until significant damage has been done. And so we're going to finish our mini-series this week by, by taking a look at what, God word, about what God's Word says about this particular sin, how it can affect our lives, and what we can do about it. So here's the main idea of our message this morning. Greed is a serious sin, often unrecognized, to which Christ alone is the solution. And we're going to examine this, this main idea by, by asking three questions this morning. Three simple questions. What is greed? Why is it bad? And how do we fight it? That's where we're going this morning. So first question, what is greed? When we think about greed, there are probably certain things that come to mind, right? For me, it's 82-foot-long tapeworms. Uh, for you, it might be something else. So when you think of greed, maybe, maybe you think of, of powerful CEOs of companies like Enron. Or maybe you think of, of certain political or world leaders who have, who have left a, a wake of ruined lives behind them in their search for power. Or maybe you think of big oil. Maybe you think of religious figures who, who have abused their power for the sake of wealth and fame. Or maybe you have someone personal that comes to mind who has affected you because of their own greed. We, we all probably have something that comes to mind when we think about greed. Someone heard that I was, I was preaching on greed uh, this morning, so they, they sent me a, a picture of, of Donald Duck swimming in a, in a pool of gold coins, right? It's, uh, I think the picture's up here. Like that's, that's probably a good representation of what we think of when we think of greed, right? And, and of course, it's it's, it's, it's comfortable to conjure up ideas of other people when we think about greed, right? It's a rare thing, I imagine, that when we think of greed, 
that we think of ourselves. Our, our preference is to think of rich and powerful people as those who are in danger of greed. Because it, it helps create a standard in our minds of what greed is that, that we don't see ourselves quite rising up to. Most of us probably do not identify ourselves as greedy people. But this is interesting given the fact that the Bible talks a lot about greed. Jesus, in fact, himself speaks about greed and wealth and material possessions far more than he does about a lot of other sins that we might think are a lot worse. While this does not necessarily mean that greed is worse than many of these other sins, it should cause us to wonder why God would speak so much about greed if none of us struggle with it. So before we write off greed as an issue that we don't wrestle with, let us first consider what the Bible has to say about it. Now, there's, there's no one verse in the Bible that brings definition to greed for us. Uh, but but it's, it's mentioned many times throughout scriptures and the, the idea of it is a pervasive one in his word. And so we're, we're gonna look quickly at several places throughout the Bible that talk about greed and then in point two, we're going we're gonna to narrow in and focus on one of those passages in more depth. But before we jump into these verses, let me, let me offer a, uh, a working definition of greed that might be helpful for us. Greed is the ruthless and arrogant belief that we ought to have more than we do, and it leads to a life that can never be satisfied. Greed is the ruthless and arrogant belief that we ought to have more than we do, and it leads to a life that can never be satisfied. Let's take a look at some of these verses that, that talk about greed and, and bring this into definition. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells the parable of a rich man who, who in his greed was building more and more barns and storing up more and more possessions and was doing this instead of giving generously to those who were in need. And Jesus warns us in verse 15 to avoid being like this man. He says, Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So here, Jesus is speaking of greed as, a, as an excessive desire for more possessions of many kinds. And even more than this, it's a, it's a relying upon them for security in life. It's, it's, it's hoarding of possessions. It's, it's always longing for more than you have, never being able to be satisfied without more. And greed is not just limited to, to wealth. We are called to be on guard against all types of greed. That could be money, it could be reputation, it could be comfort, it could be nicer things. It, greed is anything that we, that we crave in an excessive amount and that we are convinced that we need in order to be happy. And the Old Testament speaks of greed as well. In Proverbs it says, whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. Proverbs 28, a greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. So, so here the Bible begins to... Um, highlight the, the destructive nature of greed, especially to those around us. It's, it's a craving for more at the cost often of the good of those who are around us. G greed at its heart, it wants what it wants, and it doesn't matter if pursuing it hurts other people. 
or nickel and dimes others, or stirs up strife around you in order to get what you want. This is why a heart free of greed is one of the the few qualifications in Scripture for someone who's going to serve as a pastor of a church. In Titus chapter 1, Paul says, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. The reason for this is that greed can have a devastating effect on those around us, whether it's family or friends or a company or a church. And it gets worse. As Scripture goes on, Proverbs chapter 1 says, Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. 1 Timothy chapter 6, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. So here we see that the nature of greed is such that instead of providing comfort, instead of bringing contentment, it actually hinders those things in our lives. Greed is is so self-centered, so self-serving that it actually, it eats away at our own souls. And And the more that you gain, the more that you seek to gain, the more that you lose, Proverbs says. So, so in all this, we, we begin to see now a, a definition of greed starting to form. We see, we see many aspects of it. First, it's, it's something that's hard to see in yourself, right? Even though the Bible warns often about greed, hardly any of us think that we are greedy. It's a continual craving for more, the, the inability to be satisfied with what we currently have. It often seeks to gain more one for, for oneself without regard for the hurt that causes others. And instead of bringing happiness, it leaves you feeling empty. And greed is not just limited to money. Again, it could be a hunger for fame or possessions or attention or compliments or many other things. Now, all of these ways of thinking about greed can be found outside of the Bible. If, if, if you Google greed you'll find lots of articles that talk about greed the same way that we're talking about it right now. You you see greedy characters in in movies or in cartoons and that that fit the description that I just gave, right? That's that's probably how everybody thinks about greed. However, church, there's, there's one more important characteristic of greed that God talks about in the Bible. And that is that greed is a denial of the lordship of Christ. Psalm chapter 10, verse three says this. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. The one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. And this brings us to, I I think, the, the heart of greed as God talks about it. And it certainly brings us to the greatest danger of greed in our lives, which leads us to point two, to our second question. Why is greed so bad? As we consider this question, again, I I wanna zero in now on a particular story in the Bible that illustrates for us the dangers of greed. 
The story's found in Matthew chapter 19. If you, if you have your Bibles, you can, you can begin to turn there, though it will be on the screen above me as well. But, but in Matthew 19, it tells us this interaction that Jesus had with this young man who apparently was very rich, and as we will see, was very greedy. Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your mother and father, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now there's lots for us to learn through this interaction, church. But here's the one that I want to focus on. There, here was a man who had his hope and his security in the abundance of his possessions. He was a man of great wealth. And apparently, at least from, from an outward uh, appearance, he seemed to have also lived a relatively good life. He was proud of his life. He spoke highly to Jesus of his morality, claiming to have kept all of God's commandments, which we will quickly see is not even remotely close to the truth. But, but despite all of his morality and his possessions, he was aware that there was something missing in his life. He says, what do I still lack? What must I do to have eternal life? We don't know this man's full story, but we know that all of his efforts, all of his accumulation of stuff had left him knowing that there was something else in his life that he needed for happiness, that there was an emptiness in this man's life and, and he wanted something better. And so Jesus and so we, so we asked Jesus, what must I do to have this life? And Jesus commands him to do something that, that cuts straight to the heart of the issue. And it's a command that sounds kind of harsh and intense, right? Jesus says, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now just to be clear, Jesus does not for one minute think that this is the only thing this man needs to do to be perfect. But he, he wants to reveal something in this man's heart that is plaguing him. And so he tells this man to sell everything that he has and give it to the poor. And verse 22 says that the man refuses to do so and he went away sorrowful. Now the lesson here is, is not that it's wrong to be rich. To be wealthy or to have great possessions, that does not exclude you from the kingdom of God necessarily, right? That, that, that is not this man's problem. Nor does Jesus call all of us to sell everything we have and give it all away to the poor, right? Enjoyment of possessions is not incompatible with eternal life with Christ. What's happening here is that Jesus understands that there is something about this man's heart that even he himself does not see. And that is that his love for possessions exceeded his love for Christ. His security rested in wealth 
rather than resting in Christ. That there, there was something in this man's life that he was unwilling to live without, even if it meant losing Jesus. And this left this man feeling empty and sorrowful and ultimately unsatisfied. And, and that is the danger of greed. And, and Christ is offering him a better way. He, here's the thing. Jesus does not warn us about greed because he just doesn't want us to have nice things. Like, why would that be God's heart towards us? He made everything in this world for our enjoyment. He has provided possessions and comfort and wealth for us to enjoy. He is the giver of all good gifts. Our Father is a generous Father who loves to provide for us. His heart is not for us to, to not have anything good in this life. And if, if you read Scripture's description of what heaven is going to be like one day, it's, it's filled with imagery of, of beauty and feasting and wealth and, and all these things that are, are better than even money could buy. And even more than this, Christ has offered us himself. There's, there's no greater security, there's no greater joy, there's no greater promise of happiness than what can be found in Christ. And, so, and Jesus says to this rich young man, trust in me more than you trust in those possessions. I have come to give you life more abundantly. You don't have to give yourself to just building bigger barns and filling them with possessions. You don't have to worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. I know your needs even more than you do. Follow me, seek me, and all these things will be added to you, Christ says. Life and security are found in seeking me, Jesus says to this man. And Jesus says, there is, there is only one thing that you lack. It's love for me. It's allegiance to me. It's willingness to treasure me in your heart above these things that you are greedy for. Because they are nothing compared to what I can give you. But this man's heart was filled with greed and love for wealth. And so he walked away from that better thing. That's the sorrow of that story. That's the sorrow of greed. That's the danger of greed. The reason that Jesus warns us about greed is he doesn't want us to lose out on the better thing in life. And greed is so destructive because it says to Christ, you are not that satisfying. I am not willing to be content with the life that you have given me. And so you're left continually craving more but never finding enough, whether it's money or comfort or food or reputation. And a life of greed that is sold out to these things is a life that loses Christ. Tim Keller says this. He says, anything that we rely upon apart from God for life and enjoyment will eventually become a monster that will destroy us. That's so good. It's like that tapeworm, right? I'm sorry I have to return to this analogy now, but it, but it works so well, right? It, it, it can start off so small, right? Just a small desire, a small craving that you continually feed, maybe just in, in small ways, but it grows, right? That, that 82-foot tapeworm, it did not start off at 82 feet. It was a small organism 
slowly growing unnoticed inside you until it begins to take over and steal life from you, leaving you unsatisfied and unable to enjoy the better thing in life. And that's what greed does. That's why it is so dangerous. It chokes out your ability to be satisfied in Christ. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, our passage this morning that we've been in for the past three weeks, he says the greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is for those who find Christ most satisfying, who find their deepest contentment in Christ alone. That's who the kingdom of God belongs to. And that's who we want to be, church. We don't want to be like that man who is unable to receive that life in joy because our security is found in other things. And this leads us to our third point, which is, which is really what we want to know, right? How do we fight against greed? Well, church, I think the first thing that we need to do is that we need to identify any greed that exists in our hearts. And this can be hard to do, right? Because one of the things about greed, which is, which is true, I think, for, for lots of sin, but it's that we live in a culture that so normalizes these things. Right? It's, it's very easy to look at extreme examples of greed and say, well, like, I'm not greedy like that, right? But then we look at ourselves and we seem to be living a life that is pretty normal to those around us. And so our tendency is to say, well, I don't think that I struggle with greed. Here's the danger, though, church. The culture that we find ourselves in is a really bad gauge to which to judge ourselves by. Like, our culture today, in, in a way which I think surpasses probably almost any other culture in the history of the world, is so susceptible to a life of materialism and consumerism and greed, right? Because it is so easily accessible. We have Amazon Prime, right? We can click all day long and just have things instantly delivered to us. I ordered something on Amazon Prime the other day, and it came to my house within two hours. And I didn't pay for expedited shipping. Like, it just, I ordered it, and it just came to my house. Like, I don't even understand how that happens. I mean, there must be people just living outside my apartment, just waiting for me to order things. It's just like, here it is. Like, how does that, within hours, it was just there. We, we have credit cards, right? We have, we have business models that feeds off of people spending money that they do not have and racking up debt. We have Facebook and Instagram, which constantly opens our eyes to a whole world of things that we didn't even know we didn't have. All throughout the day, it's right there in our face, telling us we would be happier with a bigger car or a nicer house or more friends or exotic vacations. We have Netflix and YouTube and games and endless ways to entertain ourselves and, until we come to the end of the day and then that, that, that screen time notification tells us that we have been on our phone for four hours scrolling and buying things and playing games. I could just go on, right? And it's not that all of these things are bad, right? But we, we just live in a culture that is so susceptible to wanting more and more and being able to so easily access it. And you don't even have to be rich, right? Though comparatively to most in this world, we are. We, we just cannot look at this world as a gauge to determine whether or not greed exists in our lives. Instead, we need to search Scripture. We need to search our own hearts. We need, we need to ask if there are ways that God might ask us to step out of the norm of our culture and to walk in greater holiness in this area. 
Here's some questions I think can be, can be helpful for us as we seek to evaluate this area of our lives. Here's a question. Is there anything that God might be asking you to give up but that you are unwilling to do so? Like that man in the story. If God said, I'm asking you to give this up, would you say no to that? It might be a hobby or a lifestyle or a raise or a relationship. If you said, give this up to follow me, would you say no to that? With this question, when someone asks you for your money or for your time, is your gut impulse to say no? Does your schedule represent generosity towards others? Or does it represent a lifestyle of comfort and security? Are you honest with your financial dealings with people? And this question, how would those who know you best answer these questions on your behalf? This is this is not an exhaustive list of questions, and the, these, these aren't questions that are found in the Bible or anything, but, but I think they can be helpful in evaluating this area of our lives. But, but even if these questions are helpful in identifying greed in our lives, they do nothing to solve the problem, right? The, the rich young man was shown his greed, and he walked away sorrowful. Because following Christ was unattractive to him, right? Being confronted with our greed does not necessarily do anything. There is only one solution to greed, church, and that is happiness in Jesus. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul calls us to put to death the sin in us. And he lists things like covetousness and idolatry and evil desire and and many things that feed into a life of greed. But the way that Paul says to put these things to death is not to just stop doing them. Instead, his solution is to fix our eyes on Christ. Colossians chapter 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, which we have, he's talking about us, church, Seek the things that are above where Christ is. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What this means is that the way of overcoming greed in our lives is by pursuing a deeper knowledge of Christ and finding our great contentment in him alone. We can cancel Amazon Prime, right? We can give more money to charity. We can be more honest in our taxes, but but none of that is a real solution. The heart is still going to want what it wants. You can choose not to buy that bigger house, but if your heart craves that bigger house, you're just going to be left unsatisfied, right? If you're convinced that a higher income or a better reputation or more clothes or more vacations is really going to make you happy, then giving those things up isn't going to help. You'll just be doubly unhappy, right? The solution to greed is not emptying ourselves of everything that we are greedy for. The solution to greed is finding that all of your needs are met in Christ. That's the beauty of Christ's heart for us. Christ is not about denying you good things, church. He's about supplying you the best thing. He doesn't tell the rich young ruler, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and walk away with nothing. He says, go sell all you have and then come to me 
Come and find life and peace and security that I alone provide. That's what Christ offers us. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I love that verse. And church, the the command that Jesus gave to that rich man to go sell all he had and give it to the poor, that command lands a little bit differently on you when you pair it with this verse, right? Christ wants us to be rich. He gave his life that we might be so. And so the, the command of Jesus to fight against greed in our own lives, that command has a sweetness to it when we remember that Christ became poor for our sake. He knew that the only thing that would really satisfy our souls is to know him and to love him and to follow him. And he so treasured fellowship with us that he became poor for our sake. His life was the opposite of greed. Christ is so filled with life and joy and peace that it was his great ambition to lay down his possessions, to lay down his comforts, to lay down his life on the cross that we might be freed from slavery to lesser things. So that we might be able to, with the psalmist, say, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire beside you. Greed is incompatible with the Christian life because in Christ we have been given everything we need. Church, the penalty for our sins has been paid on the cross. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Death, our greatest enemy, has been defeated. It has been undone. Eternity has been secured. Our future is bright, church. And and the, the sufferings of this life, the sorrows of this life, which are very real, Because of Christ, they are temporary. They are light. They are momentary compared to the weight of glory, the weight of reward that our faith is preparing for us in heaven. Peace today is possible because the Spirit of God has been given to us. The loveliness of Christ has been revealed to us, church. And church, so this week, let Christ be your joy. Let Christ be your security. Let Christ be your God. And let the good news of the gospel be the death of your greed. Pray with me.